Welcome to Making Sense of MarTech, uh, a regular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, tech, and advertising. I'm Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech Weekly Newsletter. It's a weekly email that covers the most important shifts in marketing technology. People who work in the world's largest media, tech, and companies read it. You can read, listen, and subscribe at themartechweekly.com. Now, we're doing something a little bit different before we kick off our show today. Uh, we're doing something called Community Shoutouts. What is Community Shoutouts? Well, there is a whole community of other podcasters and people creating content across the marketing technology landscape. And uh, we are massive fans of a variety of those shows and, and uh, content creators. And so in each episode of Making Sense of MarTech, we're going to do a small shout out for a really great podcast. And uh, the kick, kicked our first one off is Humans of MarTech. Humans of MarTech is one of the most in-depth shows that discusses and explores what it's really like to work in the marketing technology industry. Uh, recent episodes go deep in how marketers successfully use marketing technology roadmaps, how procrastinators should deal with the upcoming changes of Google Analytics 4, which is a headache for everyone working in the industry right now, along with building modern data models. So the folks over at Humans of MarTech, they really get into what it actually looks like to work in this industry and to do great work. And also you get to learn about how to best harness some of the most innovative technologies in the industry. So if you'd like to go check them out, go to humansofmartech.com and we'll be recommending more shows that you we think that you might like. Now, back to our episode. Okay, today I am joined by Michelle Sonji. Uh, Michelle is a startup founder. She's a company executive and an innovator in the space of media and tech. Now, Michelle is the founder and CEO of Presshook. Uh, it's one of the first media relations platforms uh, that connects media and brands and publicists together at scale. Now, uh, prior to founding Presshook, Michelle uh, founded a company called Cake. Uh, it was a mobile payments platform for restaurants uh, that was acquired just a few years ago by American Express. Um, Michelle has also worked at Coca-Cola in finance, and she is an investor in a variety of tech funds. So today we're talking about the problem of public relations, a topic that I've been very excited to dive into for quite a while. Why companies want media attention, uh, building two-sided marketplaces in media, and what journalists really want. We'll also touch on the impact of generative AI tools in the media industry. But our conversation today is really figuring out why is the public relations space so deeply broken? And what is Michelle doing to solve some of the major problems in the media and publicity space? And so I bring you now, Michelle Sonji. How are you doing, Michelle? Hey there. Good to, good to be here. Thank you. Hey, great to have you. So I want you to take us back to when you started Presshook and that when that initial idea came about. What did that look like? What was going on in your life? What were you working on? How did you sort of see this problem that you wanted to start solving with Presshook? Sure. So it actually happened at my while I was working at my last startup. Uh, someone, you know, one day told me, hey, we're, you know, releasing a new feature. We should get this out to press. Nobody knew how to do it. It fell on my table. I picked it up and started to figure out how I was going to get this out to uh, journalists that write about tech releases. I started the journey, started trying to figure out how it works, you know, um, Googling journalists, Googling how it works, how to know who's writing what, when, how, and had to do a lot of work on my own and just manual researching to figure out how this world even works because it seemed like a little black box. Um, but I kept going at it and trying to figure it out. And, um, and I kept looking to see like, is there anything that can help me figure this out? Like everything was manual. Like, how do I know which journalists, journalists to pitch? How do I know how to pitch them? Um, what do I include? Um, also it just felt very one way. Like I was just pitching them, but what about, I was trying to fit into what they're writing next and how I can fit into those stories. Um, so not just constantly pitching myself and pitching myself with without knowing what they're working on that's whether that's the editorial calendar or new trending topics or whatever. Um, and I just saw no helpful like resources. Like there was nothing that connected both sides. It just felt like it was a uh, two, like two lane, like two way highway and everybody was just going at it. And there was nothing that just connected the dots. There's nothing collaborative. Um, so I 
struggled through it. I kind of started figuring out and, and noticing, figuring out how it works. And, you know, I got a few pieces for myself and uh, it just became something I started to, you know, really kind of like obsess over and try to understand. It's like, how does this world work? Am I, am I missing something? Is there something out there that I'm just, no one's telling me about? Or is this how is this how this world works? I just have to do a ton of research, pitch all the time, and just maybe hope one day one journalist might write me back. And that's the the very interesting thing about media, and particularly pitching the medium, is that it's a total game of chance, right? You may send a thousand pitches, you might do one pitch that's very customized and tailored to one journalist, and you'll never hear back from them. You'll just never hear. But then also on the other side, yeah, you could um, do something where it's you know, I get a lot of automated pictures myself where it's clearly, clearly just a release and there's no specific information related to me or my company with the Martech Weekly, uh, but they get a response, right? And, you know, it's a total game of chance. It's very random, but it can also be transformative. I mean, one story that I tell constantly about the power of media is that in uh, Melbourne, Australia, there is a tiny little croissant shop uh, called Loon. It's uh, tiny, hole in the wall place. Um, but the chef has been obsessing over making the perfect croissant for a decade. Um, you know, patisserie chef, very, very skilled person. But a tiny little shop just on the outskirts of the city. And the New York Times, a food journalist, came across this tiny little croissant store, wrote a piece about it, asking the question, maybe the world's best croissant is in Melbourne, Australia, of all places. And even to this day, this is five, six years post this article being published, they still get lines around the block for their croissant, you know? And I think that that kind of tells to the power of media and public relations in that the right voice or the right publication, the right authority talking about your brand, your technology, your company can transform your business overnight. It can automatically drive all of this demand and attention and awareness. Um, and it just needs the right words in the right place for the right person. So I kind of hear you there, Michelle, that like there is a lot of, um, guesswork that goes into this, but it's also extremely important. Like you did this work because of the value of the media opportunity. Um, but it does seem to be broken. I mean, it just seems like this industry is a place where everyone is not very happy at all. You know, <laughs> as you mentioned, right, you've got the PR folks who are trying to substantiate the value they bring to brands and they're dealing with a chaotic random environment where it's very relational there's not a lot of metrics. It's not very, um, like, uh, I guess, logical. Often the work that needs to happen, you kind of just need to be in the right place, right time to do really good PR work. And then you've got the journalists that have just a deluge of pictures constantly inbox, and they haven't got time to check that, let alone actually do their proper journalistic work. And then you've got the brands that are paying for this kind of public relations work, and they're not really sure of the outcome either. And everyone's kind of scratching their head going, surely there's a better way surely there's a better way but how do you see this problem is there um different challenges for each of those three groups how do you think about the problem space yeah well you see i mean what's happening in the media industry there's now like more shortages of journalists they're really stretched for time um they're burned out they have tight deadlines they're you know trying to drive as much traffic and compete with traffic as possible they're trying to get through the noise and clutter. They get a thousand emails a day. A lot of people like myself that I used to be didn't know how to pitch and just sending random emails that are probably not relevant for them or not knowing how to write them and what to ask for. So they're really stretched for time and trying to even find you know quality sources. So a lot of times they're just having to go back to their same network and not really diversifying their sources or getting the right quality source for their story can be difficult. Um, it's, it's a tough world. Yeah. In the media space. Um, and, and, is, and it has been, and now you even have, um, the ratio of publicists to journalists, um, where it used to be a few years ago, one journalist to every two publicists, it's now one to six and that's growing every year, one to seven, one to eight. And so, and as you said, the media, it's so powerful and it's to a, to a brand or a person and, um, has so much impact, uh, on, on all of us and influences consumers and people as a whole. Um, so there's just a lot more competitiveness to to getting it um, these days. So you have more emails, less people on the other side um, who are trying to spin out content um, rapidly, um, just especially to keep up with social media and how quickly information is spreading. So lots of changes that are, you know, I think making the problem and making the industry break even further.
Mm. Yeah. I, 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 I'm thinking about it from say more the, perhaps the publisher's perspective, but the amount of pitches I get, which is just absolutely wild is insane, Michelle. Like, you know, I'll get stuff with people following up seven times after getting no response. And that's like increasingly escalating violent content, right? You know, like headlines, clickbait highlights are sort of designed to get my attention. And then clearly there's nothing really important about this specific email at all. It's just another pitch. You know, I've got something the other day, which is totally left field. You know, I'm doing media and marketing technology. And I got a pitch for Dracula de Demented, uh, a, a, a brand new show, a live show, right? That's going out. And somehow, some way, I'm, the my email address landed in some PR churn list where they just send these press releases out willy-nilly. And, you know, like from a publisher's perspective, it's like extremely hard to filter through that stuff, right? Like I get some fantastic pictures and, you know, I don't want our audience to go away and say, there's no hope here. There's actually a really well-timed pitch and with the right amount of personalization in it. And, you know, it's just clear and simple could actually mean that, yeah, like I even having you on this podcast, Michelle, was the response from a pitch uh, that I received from Press Hook, right? And I looked at the copy and said, well, it works well. <laughs> you know, and exactly, right? So, so it can work well, right? It can work well. But I think it's kind of one of those situations where all the bad actors make it worse for everybody else, right? You're in, you're in a classroom and a, go, let's take, let's go back to high school for a minute, you know, and there's two bad kids. And they, they muck up and that means that everybody in the class doesn't get to have free time or they don't get to do the fun excursion, right? Because one or two of the bad actors, right? And it's kind of like that, you know, the journalists are very off offside just because of the sheer amount of uh, pictures they get, but also the quality is just so varying and it can be really easy to be lost in the noise there. Exactly. Yeah. And so the publisher side is difficult. You know, they're under a lot of pressure, um, budgetary cuts, operations cuts, things like that. Um, it's yeah the game is the game has changed a lot um but the underlying like processes haven't haven't changed at all um in how and how publicists and journalists communicate how they collaborate on stories like there is no common place for them to come together especially like you if you're wanting to do a new podcast on a new topic and looking for guests to come um where do you go to really like go find that? Do you Google? Do you go through your emails? Do you flip through? How do you how do you kind of decide and, and look at like what sources you have and what experts you could have to reach out to and um in an easier, more efficient way? <laughs> yeah. Um qualified. But you know, like even thinking about the work that you had to do to get your tech company and your brand into media, it's a lot of work, right? But then like even on that, so on the company side of things, and some things that absolutely frustrate me about media is sometimes their choices aren't great either. <laughs> you know, like uh, one story I'm following right now is uh, you, you've probably heard of the legendary Billy McFarland, right? This guy who um, he launched the Fire Festival, you know, and it ended up being a massive scam, right? You know, the, the story that got, went along with this was that, you know, the food, it was supposed to be, it was pictured this luxury festival on a secluded island, you know, just amazing tents and incredible experience, cost so much money, you know, they sold out of tickets and then people got there and the food was like a crusty old sandwich with a bit of cheese and tomato. And you know what, uh, Billy McFarland, he was very good at leveraging media, excellent at working public relations and getting that sort of grand swell of influences involved as well. And you know what? Fire Festival turned out to be a scam. He went to prison. Uh, now he owes people millions of dollars. He's out of prison now. And guess what? He's back in the media, right? They're, they're interviewing him. They're asking him questions. And I kind of scratched my head. I said, why is the media investing time in promoting, obviously, a scammer, right? An entrepreneur that was a scammer. Why is he getting so much headspace when there is like so many great founders out there that would never get the chance of a 60 minute interview, you know? And that's the other thing that grates on me sometimes with the industry is that um, it's some media publications follow the clicks and follow the hype and they kind of follow, they make bad choices with who they publish and who they cover. And that reduces the trust, right? And it's like, why pitch to a company when we're never going to get the same coverage as say a Billy McFarland? Yeah. Exactly. Um, and we experienced some same things as when I, my previous startup, just competitors that were really good at doing PR, but it wasn't all real. <laughs> and 
whether there's it's like the network that they have or connections that they have or um, pay to play definitely there too in the space um it it just felt like they're they weren't accessing you know quality over you know and in, in the right set of like sources and, and stories that they could be um but yeah i think it was just the nature of of how the industry works and has been working for so long mm. and it's also very subjective as well right like who's to decide what's quality who knows every publication has a different view right um and you know it's for us at the martech weekly we kind of follow the three ends which basically gives us a framework for what we assess in terms of pitches and it and we're pretty clear with that we're pretty public with like our framework for um what we cover and what we don't because we don't run advertising you know we basically only publish the stuff we think that are that is important to the industry and so for us like it's kind of interesting in that we're thinking about it from the other edges that like, how do you instill more trust in the media? How do you save people time? You know, and how do you give people really high quality information? I mean, you know, that's pretty hard to do because the temptation to take advertising dollars is always there. You know, um, like even yesterday I, I was watching an interview with Elon Musk and the Babylon Bee of all groups that did a 60 minute interview with the guy. And he said, you know, the temptation of Twitter is that like, there's just so much that they could do by running advertising for specific groups of companies or companies that aren't aligned to their values, you know, and the temptation there to take ad dollars as a technology media company um, is always constant, right? And so there's, it's very hard to sort of, for a journalist and for a, somebody who works in a media company to sort of navigate that as well, right? Like what's the right incentives here? What's the, what's, how do we see something that's quality of your know, genuine interest to our readership? Uh, but it's challenging. It is really challenging. I mean, but uh, but I guess let's move into um, guess why companies want media attention, right? Like we've already talked a few about a few examples. But like you're working with brands and publishers on the Presshook platform. I mean, what do the brands say that they want out of say this platform? Like what what kind of value do they see in the media attention outside of of course reach and awareness? Like what kind of benefits do they get? Yeah, I mean, obviously, brand awareness, credibility, um, brand reputation. Um, you see what can happen even with Pride Month and other things going on. You're seeing a, you know, how it can go wrong, how it can it can go right, how it can really affect your your current customers' retention and and uh, and reputation of you too. Um, it's also really great too. They come to get you know, of course, to acquire more customers. I think both from a customer acquisition, retention, loyalty aspect, um, it's how your customers and, and investors, shareholders, you know, look to perceive you. Um, so at the beginning, when you get, just get started, you know, you're just trying to get your name out there. And it is that you can reach a much larger audience nowadays, too. Like, obviously, SEO is playing a big, a big way in it. And that's how journalists are also writing these stories, figuring out what to write based on SEO, too. And and how brands are wanting to get in those stories for you know uh, visibility and um, again like creditworthiness. But there's a ho yeah there's a host of of reasons. It is difficult to track. I'd say like you know like advertising in other ways. It's you know the ROI is just definitely very different to to track in this industry. But you definitely see the you see this momentum and growth, and you can see really how it can strongly impact. A company when it's done right and we've seen that with some companies that have done really well like airbnb and patagonia and nike and all these brands we know and love you know you can see how much time and how well they've spent on their uh their their communications yeah i mean i look at a company like um like salesforce or um like even like g2 and others right like gartner is a really interesting example like in the martech world where like a lot of their work is actually in the media relations space. It's just seeding the, like often like the, the more strategic types, I find that they do a lot of media stuff around their category, but they don't talk about their product much. They're trying to seed the right ideas into say an industry or a, a customer set, you know? And I think that's quite interesting. Like, it's kind of like, how do we get people believing that there's a trend here when maybe there's not, you know, <laughs> you know, so there's some of that like groundswell type work where you're trying to create a trend, right? Or like the famous example now is like Mark Zuckerberg introducing the metaverse to us, right? 
and you had all the main consultancies saying there's going to be trillions of dollars unlocked in the metaverse and it disappeared overnight basically but you know like like mark zuckerberg was saying that's the direction of our company and we think that this is the future right and this is the trend and then the media just picked that up because it's a great story right like why wouldn't you write about like one of the wealthiest wealthiest people in the world talking about you know the future of tech is in the metaverse right and so like i think that there's this is a very interesting angle here of like trying to create the awareness and the traction in a category not just like selling products or you know um gaining customers as well i think like that's kind of the interesting bit to me is that with the media stuff you're really changing hearts and minds right at the end of the day you're changing how people think about certain things good bad ugly right like um going back to meta we had uh the Cambridge Analytica situation, right? Like the media that caught on to Cambridge Analytica and the data privacy situation within big tech, that caught like wildfire. And now, like now the latest studies from Pew Research are saying a lot of Americans, the majority of Americans are actively concerned with the data that's being collected with them on social media platforms. Now, who's to blame for that? It's probably the media companies, right? Because they're covering the stories. They're the trustworthy voices, you know? They're the people that are, that have like that consumers have allowed to change their mind on various topics, and so the leverage and the power and the potential of media is just astronomically huge. But uh, did you have a comment on that or a thought? Because I think it's it is interesting thinking about the value of like why brands do this stuff. Yeah, as you could say, all the media companies are in their own sense their own platform. Just like you go on and, and it actually they can multiply. Because they are their own platform in a sense with their own following and then they're searchable on Google. They're cert they're they're now reposting on all of the different social media platforms. So their voice goes far and wide and you still see how important it is for brands to put on their website, you know, they're not saying as seen by this influencer, this person or this random, you know, this random cust customer testimonial. It's like they want to be shown like who has vouch for them who has said they are credible so it really is like i think too it's like it definitely is like a stamp of approval and it feels good like it feels good if you're a brand and you get especially when you're new and you get your first press set it's it's exciting but it and and you put it all you you create advertising with it you put it you know all over your sales materials you put on your website you tell your mom about it you put it in as many places as you can so it is it is powerful it puts you up against your competitors. I think everyone's looking for to grow their share of voice over their competitors. And that's a way to, you can only do so much on your own, right? Like you need some third parties validation to help you, to help you grow your share and grow your audience. Well, you know, thinking about it now, like there's, I think the, the opportunity in media relations is more holistic than other forms of say marketing and communications. Say, you know, like let's say one example here, right? You get your first feature in a big publication, right? And you're a startup. Maybe you've got 50 employees. Mm -hmm. How much value does that add to employees? It makes them feel proud, right? That what they're working on is getting mainstream attention. That actually would help with employee retention, media coverage. And helps with hiring too. You get people that come to you. You get good talent. And then what do you do when you look at a company or someone reaches, a recruiter reaches out? Hey, do you want to work for this company? Google. Let me see what's out there about it. Nothing. Eh. Yeah, no reviews. I mean, like even like look at the thirty under thirty sort of category, right? Like how many people apply for like the Forbes thirty thirty on thirty under thirty, right? I mean, how many scammers like you know <laughs> Elizabeth Holmes and others, right? That like you know they were in the thirty under thirty, right? And like the reason why they were um, where they were so quote unquote successful commercially with building their companies ended up being a scam. It was because of like, they got the nod, right? They got the nod of approval. They got a front page feature. And I think that that drives so much value for teams and like, you know, retention, but also with employee, like the finding employees as well. But that's like, if you're running say a lead gen campaign and you're trying to convert customers, you're doing marketing, different type of communications, you're really just trying to grow the bottom line there's no real rub off with say employment. There's no rub off with other stuff that so like the media public relations space is like valuable in so many different edges that of course a brand would want to get involved. Um, of course they'd want to get involved, which I guess is kind of brings us to press talk a little bit here, talking about the technology platform. So perhaps 
did you want to give us a bit of an overview of what Pressbook actually does and how does it sort of work? What what are the main bits and pieces that people need to know about and how you guys create value on both sides of the market? Sure. So we created Presshook because we did not see another two-sided marketplace in this industry. We saw a lot of tools that were helpful for PR pros. We saw tools, a couple, not many, <laughs> helpful for journalists, but none that they both interacted on together. So Presshook is a platform that connects journalists to brands and publicists all in one place. Meaning when a journalist has a story they get assigned or they're looking for some ideas and trending topics, they can come on Presshook, type in a keyword of what they're looking for. Maybe it's a product for Father's Day. Maybe it's a sustainability expert. Maybe it's a real estate expert, no matter what it is. And they can search on the platform and find a list, a relevant list of sources that they can contact for their stories. And so, and then the other way it goes is when brands come on, they can actually contact find relevant journalists for their brand, for their story, and and find them automatically and help them pitch them all in one place. So you're not having to go to five different places of searching for how to find what journalists are out there and where they're working these days, then finding their contact details, then finding how where and how to pitch them and what to pitch them and looking up all the information about them. So it helps really get everything in one place. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. And, and so I think that like, it's interesting because I would look at a platform like Presswork and go, that is extremely hard to do, right? Like, <laughs> like it's extremely hard because <laughs> how do you stop? Like, how do you stop? And kudos to you because Presswork's been growing and you're getting some really good traction, which is interesting. But this is extremely hard because how do you stop the same situation playing out on Presswork than you would, say, in the journalist inbox, where they're just getting flooded with requests and media releases and it's just another channel for them to get endless pictures, not a lot of sig- not a lot of signal, a lot of noise. I mean, how do you prevent that from happening? Because like from a journalist perspective, I think that the value proposition of, yeah, you can come onto the platform, you can find vetted experts to talk about specific topics or areas where that you need a comment for a piece or an article. Well, that's a really good value proposition. I would use that as a media person to say, hey, I need to talk to X, Y, and Z about a new essay that we're writing, you know, that's really valuable. But on the other edge, it's like, man, I don't want to have to have an email inbox and a separate messenger type service where I'm just getting constant pitches. So how do you sort of prevent the same problems? Like how does Presswork differentiate in that way? Yeah. So um, at the beginning, this was really difficult to do, but we've made the decision to be media first. And when we opened up the platform, we brought in a group of brands and they had profiles on. Um, We brought in journalists, but the journalists could only contact a brand. The brands could not contact the journalists at first. So it's like, what is it? Bumble. (laughs) It was a marketplace that only one side could reach out to the first. So it was really difficult because we had to drum up enough interest to these journalists why they should go get in touch with these brands. The way we did is we found kind of interesting, smaller, unheard of brands that were doing some impactful things and innovative and that they didn't they wouldn't have like known otherwise um and so we really had to figure out how to drum up interest to them to get them to go to them first and then that could open up the conversation then the brand could speak back then they can communicate and talk we also found that they if if we got enough information on the brand itself and their profile which is essentially their press kit um, the brand, we really focused on the brand story, the founding story, what information the journalist typically is really just asking for, like, hey, I just need a logo or, hey, I just need a pricing or I need to know where you're sold. Like there's typical questions that we experienced going back and forth, back and forth. I need a, I need an image, a high-res image. It's like, come on, can't we get all of that just in one easily accessible place just to limit some of the back and forth? Like we can communicate, but like that, it's a lot of information. So we got all that information in made it a bit easier for them to access what they need. And maybe they don't need to talk to them. Maybe they can just grab some information and go. Um, so that's how we started. And then we only recently, um, very carefully and cautiously, opened it up to the other side to let the brands and publicists see the media profiles we even have. And they're well filled out and updated and a lot of interesting, well, what they're interested in, what they write on, what their pitch preferences um, so a lot of different things that you typically didn't see, know about media filled in. And then we only said, okay, you're going to be able to see media that is relevant to you. So you can't, you can't pitch everybody on here. If you're a FinTech, you're not going to see like a travel 
writer necessarily. So we just did it by relevancy at first. And then, but also if you reach out to a journalist and they don't respond, they, they can put that on silence. Like they're, they're not going to, if they don't reply, they have to, they have to initiate a conversation with the journalist. If the journalist doesn't initiate back, no more communication goes. So we did put some boundaries in place to not recreate the situation that's happening currently, which is a lot of brands and publicists thinking, well, if these if not many journalists, only 1% of journalists reply, let's just shoot a thousand emails and blast a thousand at a time. And you know, blow up this industry like what's happening now. So we're very cautious about the communication. We have guidelines. We have characters on limit. And then we'll go into this, but we've created some other tools that help ensure that the the content and the messaging is is in the right format and fit as well. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot there, where, right? Like like vetting the companies that are on the platform, like the brands that are on the platform. That's yep. probably a good step, right? Like having that trust and authority position. And that's like, it's probably easier to do that with Presshook with specific verticals, like trying to do all types of industries, you know, every industry has its own network of relationships in media. So like trying to do one, like I can see that there's a lot of sort of retail type brands on Presshook at the moment. I'm assuming that's a sort of deliberate choice. You've already mentioned things like the um, request for like product lists, like Father's Day gifts and things like that, right? Like that's a really obvious use case for some a platform like this. Journalists just looking to grab, get inspiration and get some information around different products. That's a really good one. Um, but yeah, it kind of, for Presshook, it seems like you kind of need to have that trust and authority yourself to go, yes, we're not letting in the scammers. You know, we're not letting in low quality companies. We're only letting in the companies, I, I guess, that have a, a genuine product, something obviously useful to people. And they have a perhaps a track history as well with yeah. And same on the media side, because the media, like there's a lot of like scammy, like content sites, like bloggers, like things like that, that are not really legit. And we want to see, okay, where do you work? What's the quality of your work? What is it? Are you just one of these sites that's just creating a mass amount of junk content that we don't need? So, so it is, there's a, there's a vetting process. Yes. On both sides. Yeah. So no, no click farms allowed. Is that what I'm hearing? No, not yet. No. <laughs> not for the foreseeable the future. No. I hope not. Then I'll sneak in. <laughs> well, you know, that's the tough bit when you try to get to scale is how do you maintain that trust and that quality within a, let's say, marketplace slash network, you know? I think that there's something interesting in that, like, even from a pitch angle, if the PR person, or see, if the publicist or the journalist, they have their own predefined criteria for a pitch. And if those questions aren't met or answered, then it just doesn't go to them. That is a fascinating idea, right? Like, I would... Like, for example, I get a lot of pictures. I get dozens of pictures every week with the MarTech Weekly. And usually it's like this huge swan song about their founder and how great they are and all the awards they've won and has no information about the product, right? <laughs> like, how big's the product? You know, what's your revenue? Maybe what's your headcount? You know, what do you just give me a link to your product page? Often that stuff is yeah. admitted and it's like this contrived sort of let me show you this amazing celebrity person that you should talk to and usually they're out in the cold you know and i'm like uh, I, like there's some information that i would like to have if somebody wants to get media attention um and there's some yeah. things that most pitches don't have in them so you know i think yeah. i like that idea of like you actually are trying to give journalists tools to vet this you know fantastic tool to go hey if you you know even if i do a lot of automated replies say for podcast pitches uh, for people wanting to join Making Sense and Podcast, I'd send them automated response. I say, hey, fill out this application form. If you are serious enough, you'll fill out the application form and give the information we need. And then every fortnight, me and my production team re-review re each application before we- That's how it should be. Yeah. You know? And that's fair, right? Like, like, this is what we need to know. This is our standard. We don't need all this other fluff. Yeah. Um, you see how bad it is with uh, like you sales campaigns I get sometimes it's like a cat holding a coffee mug with my name on it I'm like where and why why was this made why is this needed to get my attention and it's I'm like outsource IT companies <laughs> you know yeah, you know, get blacklisted with stuff like that like that's the thing like like the thing with public relations it's the second word relations it's about relationships right and the great public relations people tend to have really good relationships with journalists they've proven with two journalists that they've I've been able to give really great stories, right? 
or work with them on events or do work that's genuinely valuable for journalists. Like that's the value proposition of a PR is that you're not buying a person to do services for you. You're actually buying relationships. You're kind of renting relationships in a way, you know? And I think that that's sort of the missing piece here is that cold pitches just do not work. I, my recommendation for people pitching me is um, get one person in your company to follow me on social media, comment on my stuff, engage with me, show that you're genuinely interested in that publication, and then and then reach out by email. You're going to get a far better chance of response if you're engaging on social media where I'm already publicly putting out content than a cold pitch from X and Y, Z company that I have no idea about even existed. You know, and so, but I think the thing that I've just caught on to, Michelle, and I want you to help me with this, is that do the PR people actually hate you? Like, do they hate the press or platform? Do they see it as like a disruptive force that will take some of their work away? How do you deal with that? I think at first, yeah, when we came out, we maybe uh, came out a little strong and said, you know, we're a platform. And we really, at first, were helping more like small businesses. That was my goal at first is how do I get democratize the access to media how do i give access to more people it's really expensive it's you know piece people don't knowledge so i went in it there but then as we started building it and i thought i didn't really think about them having as many problems as other businesses have but the more we spoke with publicists and had them test the system and try it they said no like we have a difficult time it's more it's harder than ever for us because of all the other noise and clutter that's happening in these journals inbox it's harder for us to get our clients to us. And, you know, they have a tough, stressful life too. And they don't have anything that really helps organize and automate and helps connect them and diversify their contacts. You know, again, they have a few relationships. How do they get more? How do they know what freelancer is writing what at what time? It's really just hard. They say it's really hard just to keep up. And when we started looking at the tools they were using and how they did their, were doing their jobs every day, it just, it seemed a lot like there's, even more, we could help them in their space. And so we started adding agencies on probably like almost a year ago. Uh, we have about over 80 agencies that, that use the tool regularly. So it's growing and I think we have, you know, we're growing that month on month pretty well right now. So they they like it. They're our, our best users, I will say, because they, they're our best users because they understand already how PR works. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, brands still need the education, the knowledge, you know, oh, somebody requested a sample. Why haven't they written about it? It's like, okay, it can take some time. Or, you know, just understanding the nature of the the business. They understand it. They get it. And I think they're hopefully really appreciative of this tool. Yeah, wow. Okay, so my hypothesis that the PR folks would see this as disruptive to their business um, is actually probably false, right? Like the PR folks yeah. are using it as their own value add, almost kind of like um, their, their own platform that they would use on behalf of a brand. Uh, it's just very interesting it's an interesting way of thinking about the like how who would actually use as a platform on the brand side because you probably would have an internal comms person yeah they would use it but um it, there is a level of knowledge with pr and how to pitch and how to frame your product that's still required right you know you still need someone to write your boilerplate and to, to put in your product description and to do all of those things in Pressbook anyway. So yeah, I could see how like it kind of probably just helps ease the burden a bit for PR. Um, is that what you're seeing in terms of like the value add is that it just makes the mechanics work a little bit faster, easier, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think in two, they could be working on a big campaign for even like, so we have some large agencies of, you know, large corporate clients and they might be working on big campaigns, but how how do they keep up? Like they're like the only, how do we know what every single journalist is writing about every given day? You can't, physically can. You have this FOMO of like, oh, did I not? But you also don't want to, they know it's not right to blast all of them. They know it's like, that's not the way of doing this. And it's just, it, it, it's, you're not able to function. Like you could, you couldn't even function like that if you wanted to <laughs> and handle all that responses. So I think they like that they can be also focusing on big campaigns. Um, they get some interest from from journalists as they're writing stories that are just timely and they're the right fit, the right place. They can handle them. They know how to communicate with them. Um, but they also they they really like I think the the tools that we have. You know, we helping them create media lists, helping them even just even writing press releases. They have to write a lot. Um, so getting them structured in the right way and thinking of new pitch angles. You know, like they get writers block too. So I think. I think just the automation and just the organization, I, I see that they, they really appreciate 
It's just getting everything in one place. Just they said it felt everything felt really disconnected before. And they still were just tracking everything on spreadsheets and files, huge files they were keeping. So Yeah. Yeah. And the I I guess the interesting thing with this platform is that it's kind of solving a bunch of different problems at once, right? So there's the trust problem between publishers, journalists, and brands. There's the noise problem, right? There's the automation and the make my job easier problem, right? There's a discovery problem, right? Like it is fascinating that like in this space, and I think it's just the nature of media is that you have to like solve a bunch of problems at once, you know? <laughs> There's not like one clear use case that you can just keep hammering away and grow your business. For a press talk, it's like you have to make the value proposition work for everybody, right? The journalists have to not get spam and have to get high quality content. You have to have the right amount of data and on companies for journalists to be actually interested in the first place. PR tools need to be available so that press relations people can actually get in there and use the product, right? Brands need to understand like what they can and can't do. Like there's so much in that. And like really kudos to you, Michelle, for like trying to figure this out because it's not easy. But like Let's go back to this, this start. So you had the idea, you had the problem, and then you started building. I mean, like, where did you start? Like the classic way of thinking about these kinds of marketplaces is the cold start problem, right? Which is, where do you start? Do you start on one side of the marketplace first? Do you, do you build demand first or supply first? Like, I guess it's a little bit different in terms of terminology with Presshook. But for yeah. you, I guess, you're probably thinking, okay, well... Where do we start when you started out? Like, where do we go? Do we get the journalists on first or do we get the brands on first? Like, how did you start to get that momentum? How did you sort of break out of that cold start problem initially? Yeah. Um, well, from the first of all, when I started develop, when I started building the first blocks of the platform, that was in February of 2020. So can imagine when the platform, as I was building it and wanted to show it to journalists and get some feedback. I, I couldn't do that, but um, there was a lot more things happening in the world I had to deal with. So quickly, my focus had to shift and I had to pivot to, okay, like, who is this going to be for? I actually first, because I just came back from Indonesia and was at a small homestay and had talked to him about this and realized the problems even he was having. But I thought if I was going to help travel and all sorts of things. And then I realized I you know, needed to focus on an industry or an area that was critical and in need then. So the first thing we did was food and beverage because everyone is wanting food and beverage and what to order and what to buy and what's essential. And so we really went after first food and beverage brands and then people wanted more home goods because we're sitting at home, we have nothing to do. So they wanted home goods and games and things like that. So then we opened it to home goods and games. Next, people started wanting to go out a little more. So we opened up to like beauty and fashion. So we really kind of, and then now we're starting to open it up to a lot more industries and we're we're much more open and generalized than we used to be. Um, but you're right. At first, it started very consumer goods, retail heavy. And then we went and got those lifestyle types of writers. So who writes about pr uh, products, um, what to eat, what to make a recipe with, how to make a, a home office, um, toys you need for your new dog, you know. So we kind of went along with what was happening at the moment. And we didn't really have a playbook. Because like the editorial, we thought, you know, we're going to go by the editorial calendar. We know exactly what people are talking about. And that was thrown out. So we're like, okay, we're just going to figure this out day by day. Uh, but the the we, we knew in order for this to work, because no other platform was like this, we had to have both sides engaged. And we had to have the media. If the media wasn't engaged, we couldn't do this. Um, so that was most important of, of, of getting them on board, getting their feedback and hearing back from them. And they really played a, a vital role in helping us build this platform. That's amazing. And I guess that the irony of that is that in the early days, getting that first um, tranche of journalists involved, you actually had to go out and pitch them. Oh, yeah. We <laughs> <I> still do. <laughs> the you're pitching a platform so that other companies can pitch journalists on a platform. Like, it's hilarious, right? It's a little bit circular, but it is like you have to start somewhere, right? Um, and I yeah. can imagine that, like, the feedback in those early days would have been really quite helpful. You would have gotten a lot of great feedback. I, I'm imagining that for the journalists in the early days, the platform would have been free. They can jump on, create an account, they can get started. You know, you wanted to probably remove that the barriers to friction quite a bit just to get the journalists involved. Yep. So we're always, we're going to be free for media. We have a free uh, plan for media. 
We have a free plan for experts. We just charge businesses and agencies. But you're right that they were very involved from the start. And I think coming from the tech industry and especially fintech and other areas that are very competitive and overcrowded, I, I saw this space. And when I reached out to a journalist, I think I finally pitched a few and finally one came back to me and I said, can you help me tell me what you do in your workflow? What tools do you use? How are you using it? And it was really nothing. They said, I used my Gmail and Google things. I like Word doc. Like, I was like, what? I was like, use nothing? There's nothing you're using to get your information, to get your stories, to do your job every day. And it just baffled me because I was just like, I came, I was like, wow, this is really open, really open. <laughs> so but, the- um, but I knew to them how their behavior and how they're they've been used to doing things more traditionally, that it, it might be hard. But I think especially with with COVID and just changes in digital and and so many different things that they were really open to, I think, and excited to have a tool. <laughs> well, that's that's a really cool insight, right? Because that for me, I would take the insight and I would say maybe the starting point here is a, a software product that just helps um, journalists organize their stories, you know? Oh, yeah, I know. That, that's, that's like a value proposition in its own right. Like, oh, yeah, you don't need to, need to rely on, you, you integrate Google with Gmail, your, your Google Sheets, your whatever else, right? And then we can organize, sort, help you prioritize your information, categorize it. So you've got a really beautiful library of, all the previous content you've done, all of your research notes, you know, a bespoke sort of yeah. All your stories you're working on, you can just tag and file all your all your pictures go to one, you know, episode story you're working on or folder things, and yeah, yeah that's what we saw. Is they were using their Gmail as a Google search to send it to find something yeah. for your story. Look, I, I'm guilty of that as well. I'm horrible. <laughs> I've got a thousand unread in the inbox right now, um, but. <laughs> but you know, like that's, that's fascinating because the value proposition to a journalist is a better way to organize the information they already have. So before you even layer on things like, yeah, you'll be able to get high quality pitches. Um, you'll be able to pick how you want to be pitched through the platform. That's not even a consideration yet. Like we're not even talking about it. We're just like, Hey, get off Gmail and then put everything in a platform that makes it easier for you to find information. That's not even, it has nothing to do with the pictures at all, right? Which a kind of interesting place to start if you think about it, right? Like how, what's the value proposition for the one side of the marketplace? Well, it's kind of tangential to the main purpose of the platform, you know, but okay. So we talked about journalists a little bit, but like, what about the brands getting brands involved? Like, how did you think about pitching them and understanding their problems and getting them uh, the initial first few brands and onto uh, uh, press hook? Um, we had to go out and again, pitch brands and again, be open and transparent that we did not have experience. <laughs> we did not exactly know what we're doing, but they understood our mission and what we were trying to do. And we were trying to find a more affordable and efficient way to get them media coverage. And we were trying to create this marketplace that was not built yet, but we we wanted to learn. We needed to learn how, how it worked and best practices. And so we could build out, you know, the automation and the platform in the right way. So we were lucky. We had some brands that decided to sign up for us and take the risk. One is still with us to this day. And that summer we, we figured it out. We, we, you know, we started get that, getting them some good press mentions and, and features. And it, we just started learning the process and just learning what works and what didn't. And we showed that success and could bring more brands on. So while some of it was the platform, like us using the tools we had and we were being a lot more efficient, but we were constantly just learning and, and seeing what, what we could do to automate things and how we could connect both sides in a better way. So it was really just learning through operating a little bit like an agency at first, just to learn the processes and then constantly just building things as we as we saw them happen or as we saw things work. Hmm. Have you enjoyed the process of building a marketplace type platform? I mean, compared to where you were with your last company, Cake, which is a payments facility, very different business model, extremely different. So have you enjoyed, which one do you have enjoyed more? Would you would you say the press hook is more uh, interesting or like what, what would you find is sort of different with building a marketplace versus a sort of a strict yeah. tech platform? 
I think it's exciting just how cool, exciting and scary how quickly you can get brands to sign up because there's not a lot of like friction. Like I was in the payment space and it was a huge onboarding extensive process for customers and like how quickly a customer can just sign up and be live. And all of a sudden we see within a day a customer get contacted by a journalist or a week, you know, it's just like the speed at which things were happening, but also the speed of which we could acquire new customers. That That part was really exciting seeing things work, seeing some brands, you know, the excitement of, of what they get and how, you know, they might have not been able to get press like this without us or get this kind of awareness and save their company at times. So I think it's it's exciting. It's definitely rewarding. It's still stressful too. <laughs> As we know, it can, and PR can take time and, you know, you you can't, it's not guaranteed, right? It's all earned. Yeah. Um, so we're not paying for it. We're not doing any, we're not doing any favors. We're not, we're not doing anything. We're just trying to do our best to, to, to prove the, the quality and the innovativeness of these brands to get them quality coverage. Yeah. And a tech buyer in a company, they kind of want to see the ROI, right? But okay. you're right, the ROI is kind of in their hands. The technology really just facilitates those relationships and the, uh, information flow back both ways so it's it's a hard it's not like saying jump onto us and get three press mentions in the first two weeks right like i've got pictures from time to time from companies representing like you know the financial times and washington post and saying hey pay us five thousand usd and we'll get one of your stories in the financial times you know that's like a guarantee if we don't do it then you get your money back and i'm like really like that's a business model like that's so scammy right like you want to earn it. There's a lot of earn a place in financial times. You don't like you want to get the respect of the top tier journalists in the world. You have to earn it, right? Not pay for it. Like, but now that's the problem too. Going out and acquiring and getting more brands is that a lot of them have been burned by these other tools and scan systems. So we had to come out and say like, no, but we're really not. We're we're we don't we're not like this. <laughs> we're not going to overpromise anything. We have to, um, you know, it's a better system to do the work you're already doing effectively. You know, it makes it quicker, more efficient. You probably get better opportunities. But the leverage, right? Like the company that gets one mention in a big publication could be worth five years of a subscription price for Presswork, right? That's the real opportunity. Is that like they do it well, they invest the right time and energy into it and they it can transform their business, right? They can be the next loon croissant shop, uh, little tiny croissant shop based here in Melbourne, right? You know, (laughs) And they're getting free press because of the story they created, right? Even just on this podcast, which is hilarious. But, you know, yeah. like... It's, it's, it's affordable and it lasts so long. It's not like advertising where you spend it and it goes and, you know, it's, it's yeah. long-lasting. So the yeah. value, you know, the cost decreases over time. <laughs> and, and that's exactly right. You get one or two, like, say you're on Pressbook, you get one or two really good stories a year. That earned media value is probably way higher than dumping that same amount of money into paid ads. Like just because of the authority and the reputation, right? Like the thing I constantly um, say on the Martech Weekly is that not all audiences are the same. Context matters, right? The audience of a very well-respected media company um, publisher is way more valuable than a uh, than an audience that you're just trying to spam, get them with ads on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever, right? Like the context really, really matters. And the audience, who you're actually speaking to, really matters. And I think that, you know, what's missed, I think, with a lot of growth hacking and this sort of data-driven marketing mindset is that we reduce everyone down to numbers, right? It's just volume in, volume out. How many leads did we get? How many people did we reach with our ads? How many conversions did we get? But the missing piece there is the qualitative aspect, which is the right audience matters, you know, like reputation really matters. And the right people looking at your stuff has a huge exponential effect on how your brand's perceived, how you grow, you know, even look at, you know, I just looked at, uh, this is actually a, a fascinating story just came out this week where Kanye West has just done a Yeezy drop, right? And he's been in the media for the past six months with all of his racist Nazi rhetoric and, you know, but, you know, he sold like $24 million worth of um, Yeezys over the past couple days, you know? And so like the brand matters, right? The awareness really matters. You're never going to get that kind of success with just running paid ads, unfortunately, right? And so the media stuff is just so incredibly vital and important. So I can see like why brands would want to sign up and pay for Presshook because it's like 
the risk and reward is really quite a good equation. You know, one really good feature can mean a massive difference to a brand for yeah. years, years and years and years. So I think you appreciate you mentioning that. Um, it's really quite interesting. But I wanted to land this conversation. I didn't want to talk too much about generative AI because yeah, everyone's exhausted. Everyone's talking about it. It's extreme hype cycle right now. But you are experimenting in this space with Presshook, which I find quite interesting because of our just our last conversation about, I guess, the um, the ability of the brands to actually do high quality pictures themselves within Presshook, or you know, have their information presented properly. But like, how are you seeing using generative AI in Presshook? How are you seeing impact the media relations space? Uh, what how are you sort of tackling it right in the minute? Yeah, so. How we look at it is more how we can help brands and publicists create a more quality and structured pitch. So what it does is it can take in a pitch that you're trying to write and then it applies and looks at um, the logic and the best guide and the guidelines and the structure we provided and say, okay, take out a lot of fluff in this stuff, get straight to the point, make sure you mention X, Y, Z, you know, so it more so we're trying to get more quality pitches across the board. Um, so you said it's not supposed to be, this is not an effort to be spammy. We even have controls like and guidelines of how many pitches you should send a week. Um, but the actual content we're trying to improve. Same with the press release. Like I think people just write them and have no clue what they're doing and no clue what they're saying and it goes nowhere. So, um, or they're too long or they're too drawn out or, you know, it's not getting to the point as you said, like, what's your actual product? What, who are you? What What's going on here? So I think it's just helping people craft better pitches, especially for how, what journalists, you know, it's different, a sales pitch versus pitch to a journalist and things like that. So I hope that it's, it's really just helping craft a better quality pitch and take out a lot of the wording and useless information that we, they might not need in it and get straight to the point. And then also it helps them using AI, we're helping create that list of media who is relevant to your brand and why. So it shoots them a list of media the name of the media, where they work, why they're why they're relevant to them. Oh, because they write about children's wear and fashion, and they appreciate sustainability. And they wrote this article on woman founders that own you know children's wear brands. Like it really helps them. It helps us with the relevancy and make that connection. Because when you write a journalist, you want to say why you're writing them and how you know. It. So it helps figure out those pieces of how you can connect with them better. Um, so that's one, the media list, the AI pitch tools, the AI press release. Um, what else do we have? Oh, um, and also on the journalist side. So if they put in a, a request, something that they're they're looking for a certain product or source or experts for their stories, they pop it in and it automatically searches, uses like our database and shows them the most relevant results. And again, why? Um, and then it shoots an email out automatically to our uh customers that are a relevant match for that. So again, instead of everyone getting the same, the email about this request, only the relevant people are going to get it and the relevant people are going to match back. So from day one, we've always been about how can we be more relevant on both sides. Um, so it just helps us in that way. And it, it helps us to accelerate development that I thought we wouldn't have for two or three years. I thought we we're going to have to build this all on our own and machine learning and just it would take us a long time and be very expensive. And he's been able to launch these features yeah rather quickly in the past yeah. few months well the value of that is getting into market quicker and learning validating and see which use cases matter right um which is yeah. which is kind of the, the beauty of i think gpt4 and um chat you know chat gpt and ai bard and these other systems is that it kind of gives like if a ai if a SaaS company really wants to invest in ai they've kind of now got a way to validate it right using some of these generative tools before they go and build their own proprietary system like how valuable is this say as a feature right does it drive a lot of value does it drive a lot of revenue you know those are sort of the questions i guess a lot of people are asking right now um there's a lot of experimentation i mean there's just dozens of startups being founded out every single week using basically just lever leveraging the, the existing ai models i think that the relevancy question is really interesting because you kind of right if you've got the proprietary data on what journalists tend to write about and if you've got a stream of their published content say like through rss or through other means to actually have their content scannable by ai then you've got this ability to go yeah like you don't have to do a lot of work to make something quote unquote relevant or positions appropriately to a specific journalist which is um cool because journalists get i guess more relevant pitches 
but they also get more pitches <laughs> at the end of the day because the barrier to entry and the make to do that work is actually far less. And so again, it goes back to that sort of that hard problem of how do you maintain quality while, while also giving brands the tools to scale some of this stuff as well. It's a very hard space. I mean, I've said this many times, Michelle, over the course of this conversation, but it's very hard to get that right. And I appreciate your thoughtfulness and trying to navigate sort of both sides and how to create maximal value for both parties, I guess. Exactly. Um, and it's not perfect yet, but I think it's still as much better than the methods that we were using before. Um, again, I think just having that ability, they, they're okay. If you talk to the most journalists, they're okay getting as many pitches as possible if they're relevant and interesting to them. Um, and I think that's what we're helping brands do is, is there is giving them access. Like these are the relevant people to contact and how, and not, uh, and not encouraging. And it doesn't even let them write people outside of the realm. So I think we're trying to make that space of course a lot better but um but yeah obviously we're still um making trying to make improvements and and, and there's more to there's more to do <laughs> always more to do well uh michelle thank you for joining us so i have one last question for you where can we find you on the internet of all places uh you can find me on twitter instagram linkedin um michelle sanji that's s-o-n-g-y um, the company is Press Hook. So feel free to connect to me on that, TikTok, anything, any, anywhere you are. <laughs> really great. Well, we interview people like Michelle Sanji all the time, people that are thinking about the hard problems of MarTech, um, building interesting products, um, thinking about the industry in novel and new ways. And so stay subscribed. If you'd like to read and subscribe, head to themartechweekly.com. Uh, hit that subscribe button if you're listening on your favorite podcatcher and leave us a review. But Michelle, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. This has been fun. <laughs>